Hello and welcome to Tax Vibe, a podcast by the Tax Institute. I'm Robin Jacobson, the Senior Advocate at the Tax Institute and your host of today's podcast. We love the vibe of tax and here at the Tax Institute, we do tax differently. I'll be chatting with some of the tax profession's great thought leaders who will share valuable and practical insights you may not hear every day. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tax Vibe. I'm joined by Karen Payne, Inspector General of Taxation and Taxation Ombudsman. Karen was appointed the Inspector General of Taxation and Taxation Ombudsman and commenced her five-year term on the 6th of May 2019. She leads the Taxation Ombudsman Complaints Management Service for taxpayers and advisors and the Inspector General of Taxation's review and public reporting function, both of which are directed at improving the tax administration system for all taxpayers. Karen was previously a member of the Board of Taxation, as well as the inaugural CEO of the Board of Taxation. She was formerly a partner with Minter Ellison, specialising in corporate and international tax for mergers and acquisitions, and capital raising for various sectors. She brings a wealth of experience and extensive networks to the role of Inspector General, having worked with a range of government and private stakeholders, as well as the legal and tax profession and many industry bodies. Karen is a solicitor admitted in New South Wales, a chartered tax advisor with the Tax Institute, a chartered accountant, and a member of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. Karen, welcome to Tax Vibe. Thank you. Karen, can you explain the role of the Office of the Inspector General of Taxation and Taxation Ombudsman? Because there are two different roles here. What's the purpose of each? Well, the Inspector General of Taxation was set up in 2003, and it's fundamentally to address the secrecy and confidentiality provisions in the tax rules. So we were set up with powers to, if you like, lift the secrecy veil to go and take a look and provide independent assurance back on back to Parliament and or the community and or the Minister on what should be improved. Um, in 2015, we inherited the taxation ombudsman role, and that is a very different role where we're now investigating on behalf of individual complainants, and by individuals, I mean not just people with heartbeats, but entities as well. But anyone who's a taxpayer who wants to complain about the way in which their affairs are being administered. Um, so that is uh, a role we've been providing since 2015, and we can also, sorry, I should mention, even though more than 90% of our complaints are about the tax office. We do investigate complaints by practitioners about the way in which the tax practitioner board has um, dealt with them as a, as a practitioner. Essentially, the role of the taxation ombudsman is to deal with an individual taxpayer complaint. And when I say individual, it could be any type of taxpayer. I don't necessarily mean a human being taxpayer. Correct. But a complaint of an individual taxpayer who has a situation. Whereas the role of the Inspector General of Taxation is more about understanding the processes and if there are systemic problems within the way the system is being administered. But might there be occasions where in looking at a taxpayer's matter, you realise that they're not on loan, they're not Robinson Crusoe, if you like, there are in fact uh, repeated instances of that occurring and somehow this has morphed into a systemic issue, it might indeed lead to an investigation. I think that's exactly right. And I think the key thing is that these two roles are very complementary. So we see stuff happening in our review space in death and taxes, for example, and that then leads to people acknowledging or recognising they can lodge complaints with us about the way the ATO is administering deceased estates. But the 
the genesis for the death and taxes review was the complaints we were in fact receiving on deceased estates. Similarly, we saw through the JobKeeper, JobMaker processes, a number of complainants coming to us and we had investigated those individual complaints, but collectively we thought, actually, this is something we should report on publicly. So people are aware of, you know, this has been the improvement we've identified in administration for the tax office to take on without needing to come and lodge, you know, complaints with us. So the two processes, the two investigation models absolutely are complementary and one informs the other. Can you briefly explain, Karen, the scope of the powers? So what are you able to do? What can you ask for? What do you have the right to demand of the ATO and what do they have to comply with? I'm going to start with the very extreme view, right? We have powers of compulsion. We can go and conduct a Citibank raid on the tax office if we need to. So we have very, you know, compelling powers to access information if we choose to exercise those powers. Now, I would say that it would be ridiculous for us to exercise those types of, you know, powers of compulsion on every occasion. So the more frequent way in which we get access to information is through our ordinary investigation rules. Now, once upon a time when we were the Inspector General of Taxation, we had access to information as of right. When we inherited the Commonwealth Ombudsman uh, legislative framework, we now have access according to the rules of the Ombudsman Act. And those rules say we have access to information if the commissioner chooses to give us access to that information. Now, whilst practically I'm not suggesting the commissioner is preventing us from accessing information, if I were to stand back and say, what, what is independent access? What does an independent investigation look like? Well, for me, it doesn't look like the head of the agency that you're investigating gets to choose whether you do or don't get access to the information. So if I, you know, if I, could have a wish for Christmas, it would be that we got actually unfettered access to information because even though I'm not suggesting we don't get the information that we request, sometimes it's a challenge, I think the fact of having an unfettered statutory right to access information changes the way people see that they should engage with you. And you can see some of those recommendations in the RoboDebt Royal Commission report where the commissioner has suggested that there should be an obligation to assist the agency through an investigation. The recommendation is not that it's just imposed on the head of the agency, but on all officials that work in that agency. So that's one of the recommendations in the Royal Commission that we're keenly watching. You've been delivering sessions for the duration of your tenure to date. And one of the questions you ask in your sessions is about importance of integrity and the awareness of your office, both that of Inspector General and that of Ombudsman. What are you finding in terms of awareness and is there more that both your office and more generally the profession can do to understand what it is you do? I think absolutely there is a need for greater awareness of our office. We did a review into how effective is the ATO at at advising taxpayers of their rights to appeal, complain and dispute challenge decisions. And one of the recommendations out of that review investigation was that actually the tax office should proactively tell people how to lodge a complaint with them, with the tax office, and with us as the taxation ombudsman. You'll see in our charter on page three, the tax office have now put that into our charter, but that's only recently come out. It came out in June, and they've made clear in our charter that your position 
your rights as a taxpayer are not affected just because you choose to lodge a complaint, either with the tax office or with ourselves. That's very important because fear of reprisal action, I think, is what sometimes holds people back from lodging complaints. Anyway, it is now formally in our charter that you can lodge a complaint with us as the ombudsman, but ideally in the first instance you you try and resolve your complaint with the tax office. It's also the case that the tax office should be putting that information on decision correspondence going to taxpayers. They should be reminding everybody that if you disagree with the decision or you wish to challenge the decision, here are your avenues. And one of those avenues at the, at the very least should be recognizing the tax ombudsman. But I absolutely acknowledge there's more for us to do. Um, I am always. Surprised at how many people, when I put up my polling questions at conferences, will say either they don't know that we existed or if they're aware of our existence, they don't know what we do. Now, I should also add the Senate Economics Legislation Committee did a review three months into my term. They did a review of the performance of the Inspector General of Taxation and one of their recommendations They made 16 recommendations, all good in my opinion, but one of their recommendations was that the government should fund a uh, a program to promote the fact that there is, in fact, a taxation ombudsman and service in the community. Correct, yeah. I didn't advocate for that. The committee came up, up with that idea themselves. But you'd be perfectly happy. But I'd be receive. very happy to, re- to receive additional promotion because, as I said, I'm speaking to sophisticated, you know, tax literate audiences and they don't know that we exist. Well, how is the rest of the community going to be uh, identifying that we exist? Karen, do you have any observations on the evolution of your role from its genesis to now and from now into the future? Yeah, I think we are evolving as an agency in terms of where our core focus is on. I think it's always still the case, and I think it always will be, that we need to make sure we're engaging with stakeholders to understand what are their concerns. That's kind of fundamental and core to what we do. So I don't see that changing and whether that's to inform our review investigations or to just help, you know, promoting the fact that there's a tax ombudsman in the system. But on the taxation ombudsman side, I can see that that will evolve materially and significantly. And in particular, because we're now seeing ourselves investigating more complex and highly complex disputes where, you know, we're looking to see if we can get outcomes for people where they've been recognising, they've been through three or four decision processes internally at the tax office, as well as a complaint process, sometimes as well as, you know, objection and or appeal AAT processes, and then they come to us. So, you know, we're at the end of the complaint chain. And so by the time they come to us, they're very frustrated. They're sometimes angry. They're very confused. You know, they're just looking for answers. They think something's unfair. We're finding that we are more and more engaging in investigations of very complex dispute issues, and that's a big drain on our resources and our time. But the rewards, even though we can't compel the tax office to do anything, I think the community does respect the fact of our independence when we've gone through the process, even if we sometimes come back to them and say, look, we've taken a look at what the tax officers have done here, we would have done this differently, but we can't compel them to do anything. And, you know, here is our report. So more and more complex investigations and trying to find better ways to interact with the community so they understand where their investigation process is at. That's where I kind of see the next stage in our evolution. 
And I think it's fair to say, Karen, that your office is not about, and I use the word in a non-criminal sense, uh, prosecuting a government agency or always acting in the interest of the taxpayer. It's about what's good for the system, particularly with your Inspector General hat on, and trying to improve the efficiency and the, the way the tax system is administered. Now, there are times the taxpayers, of course, can play a greater role in the responsibilities, particularly when we look in the fraud space and making sure that everything is done properly according to their obligations under the law. But equally, the administrator has enormous responsibilities to administer the law properly. So in terms of your role, I always see you as a bit of a a guardian or a custodian of the system. You're always trying to improve the way that it works. That's right. So we're not a taxpayer advocate service like they have in the US. We're there to investigate independently. And that means we're not taking the taxpayer's side or the tax officer's side. We're there to report or mediate, if you like, exactly what we find and what we think is the fair outcome as an independent observer. So I don't think that's always understood. And sometimes the complaints that we get back after we've finished an investigation is, you know, oh, well, you weren't able to change the tax officer's view. You you couldn't get me a different outcome. Why can't your decision override the tax officer's decision? It's an ombudsman model. We We don't. You're not the federal court. That's right. We don't pretend to be uh, substituting for the tax officer's decision. It's their decision. It's their administration. We're like an independent commentator on whether or not that administration is fair and consistent with law and the tax officer's own guidance. Hey, Karen, I'd like to look now at some of your previous investigations. Uh, There are many of them, and anyone who wants to look at those can uh, jump onto the website, which is IGT. .gov.au. So some of the key investigations you've undertaken, you've looked at the way the ATO administers and manages objections, and there's an interim report available for that. You've looked at how the ATO deals with deceased estates. You've examined the future of the tax profession. You've looked at how the ATO handles and manages the use of garnishee notices. And even in 2014, there was a report that circled back to some of the previous investigations to say, well, how have these reports gone and the recommendations that we put forward? Is that still the case? And and if not, what is the process now for looking at whether prior recommendations are implemented? Tax touches everything. And we're at the centre of all of it. The Tax Institute is more than just tax. We are... The heart of the Industry Institute. The Thinkers, Doers and Changemakers Institute. The Chartered Tax Advisors Institute. The Tax Institute. The centre of the tax conversation. So we did actually change the way we're going to go back and, if you like, do a post-implementation review. Recognising we have limited resources, we thought another approach that might have suitable integrity was to rely upon the ATO's own audit and risk committee process. So since 2014, we don't do post-implementation reviews to see how things have been progressed and implemented. Uh, But instead, what we do is we write and confirm at various regular intervals with the audit risk committee that they're seeing sufficient evidence of the implementation by the tax office of those recommendations. It's also fair to say that because we do still engage actively with stakeholders, if 
things that have been promised to be implemented and are not actually either progressing fast enough or they're not being implemented in the way that it was once anticipated they would be, we get stakeholder feedback on that. And we, you know, we, we go and make independent inquiries or individual inquiries to say, Hey, what's happening there? So if deceased estates is a classic. There are still a lot of complaints that we get around the ATO's administration of deceased estates. And I still get lots of stakeholders coming to me saying, Hey, this was supposed to happen and it hasn't. And where is it? And we're, you know, we do chase those things. Have there been any positive changes as a result of your report and investigation into the handling of deceased estates? Well, there's been a recognition that the representative that the tax office can engage with is not always going to have probate. And there has also been a recognition within the tax office that the threshold before which, you know, they can deal with somebody has been increased to allow more people to engage with the tax office even though they don't meet those formal legal personal representative requirements. Because the law is very strict around, of course, who is authorised to act on behalf of a taxpayer. Or when your taxpayer has passed away, then they, of course, can't authorise anybody. And we often see the examples of the executor and administrator is a slightly different situation because it tends to be, of course, that more court appointed. But an executor wants to go to the accountant who looked after the deceased person's affairs and say, well, why can't you just do this? Why can't you just lodge the outstanding return? And why can't you make this happen? And there's all this administrative red tape around what they're able to do and what they're authorised to do. So there got to be some practical cut through as well. Exactly. And there was actually a report that was released earlier this year. It's not in the tax base, but it's uh, on the operation of MyGov, where they acknowledge that, you know, not everyone who should or needs a MyGov account is going to be computer literate. So the suggestion, I think it was um, Fody's report, the suggestion was that you should have some kind of a nominee arrangement that is acceptable in relation to MyGov rather than people basically defrauding their relatives, pretending to be them, you should just set up a nominee account or a nominee arrangement and that should be permissible. I'm not sure where that's all got to, but I guess it's the kind of same theme where you have a number of, well, in the case of deceased person, they're dead, right? They can't they can't engage with the tax office, but somebody who is acting on their behalf and or who has responsibilities to wind up their estate, even if they don't need probate, why can't they be recognised for the purposes of engagement with the tax office? And just to play devil's advocate, in this current climate and environment of identity theft and cybersecurity issues and even elder abuse, I can see why there would need to be a great control or series of controls over who would be authorised to do that because you certainly don't want to pave the way for people who are not authorised, who claim to be authorised, getting access to that type of information. Oh, I totally agree. But you also want it to be user-friendly. So you're trying to keep in balance these two competing objectives sometimes. But provided you've got the right checks and balances in the system, it does still seem appropriate that you can have lines of communication that are user-friendly and that are accessible. So turning now to your current investigations, there are certainly three that are currently sitting on your website. And this is to do with the exercise of the Commissioner's remedial power. Secondly, the exercise of the Commissioner's general powers of administration. And thirdly, the ATO's administration and management of objections. Now, you've been working on these for many months. In fact, I'm going to suggest over 12 months in some cases. 
Where are these at and when could we expect for those to be publicly released? And what do you hope will come out of these three reviews? So the report that looks into the Commissioner's administration of his general powers of administration is currently with a minister. That report makes recommendations for both the tax office and makes recommendations for legislative change. Because it includes recommendations for legislative change, it has to be, I don't get to release that publicly. It has to be released by the minister. Um, but I've provided the report to the minister for his consideration and he may or may not choose to respond to the recommendations at the time he releases it. But there is a statutory obligation to release it within a particular time frame. I think it's 25 House of Representatives sitting days. So, so that should be out before the end of October. Similarly, the remedial power report is largely written and if not currently with the tax office, soon to be with the tax office. So again, I, I would see that that should be released to the public sometime before the end of October. And importantly for me, because I see both of these reports as dealing with, to some extent, a similar problem, I wanted to do these two reviews together, but I was persuaded that we should separate them. Um, so anyway, they'll both be in the market likely around similar times. The objection report, we're still working through a raft of information that the tax office has given back to us. The phase one process was to put out there, well, this is the data. And then phase two is then to go and interrogate for some of the concerns that people were raising with us around the data. Um, so that's probably not going to come out. I haven't seen a draft of that report. I don't believe that will be out this year. But in the meantime, we've released other reports and we're doing other self-initiated or own motion reviews. So we recently released a report on the ATO's administration of the Small Business Litigation Funding Program, which the funding for the tax office came to an end on the 30th of June this year. But I believe, you know, the tax office intention is that it will just roll into test case funding. We've made a number of recommendations in that report, even though it wasn't a review, we did it on the back of having done two very detailed dispute investigations where we engaged a cost assessor who's, you know, clearly experienced in the ways of the federal court to come to look at what the process um, was for those funding arrangements. And based on their report back to us, we've then made, if you like, recommendations to, on, on what we would like to see as improvements to the funding arrangement. Because Fundamentally, people were not clear up front on what costs would or would not be compensated. And if you're about to go into litigation, the thing you need to be very clear on is how much of these costs are you funding yourself and how much is being funded because the tax office has chosen to brief somebody externally. And then we've got a number of other own motion investigations that we're um, either currently scoping or we'll, we'll get off the ground soon. One concerns the way in which the ATO administer um, a debt release on grounds of serious hardship. And that was a follow-on from an earlier review that we did in relation to collectible but undisputed debts. And then we've got another review, a self-own motion review, where we're looking at a concept of an approved form. Now, you might say, well, that's a pretty specific thing to be looking at, but it has big implications on whether or not the commissioner has a discretion to give you more time to lodge an approved form. So we're kind of, we think it's important to, to take a deep dive on that. There's always a lot that you're managing, but with all of that going on, what's ahead the next six to 12 months, say, what's on your radar and, and how 
do you see your role evolving even further to bring fairness to the system? So there's a lot on my radar. <laughs> there's a lot of things I'd like to be doing. Um, I have to manage resources and do the, you know, do the things that we can do. And for that reason, I have to prioritize. So the one thing I would say is we keep a register of potential review investigations on our website. I wouldn't mind if people took a look at that and maybe fed back through the tax institute. You know, what are your top three issues? If you have a look at that list, or maybe there's something that is on your top three that's not on the list that you want to feed back to us. And that, that way that helps us to prioritize what we should be looking at. In terms of the dispute investigations, the key thing we're looking to do in the next six to 12 months is to implement a new case management system. That system, I think, will be game changing for us because it's going to have a protected portal that allows a complainant to see where our investigation of their complaint is at. And that way, they'll feel like there's more control from their end in terms of understanding, you know, is it the IGTO that's delaying their the conclusion of their investigation? Is it the fact that we requested information from the tax office and we haven't got it? Or is it, in fact, the complainant's delay because we've asked them to give us something to, to progress their investigation and we're waiting on that so we can progress it? I think that aspect of our complaint investigation service will help us a lot in terms of helping the community understand where their investigation is at and take a, if I'm frank, take a lot of the frustration out of the process because sometimes it does feel like a bit of a black box and I totally get that. Consider also improving the relationship or communication because essentially what you're describing here with that system upgrade is improved transparency and visibility. So instead of something being submitted through a website or you know, uh, that's generally how complainants will do so, but they might also make a phone call that might save some of those unnecessary calls, which the more occasions your staff are dealing with phone calls to say, where is this at, the less time they have to spend on actually investigating the particular issue. But certainly having that transparency will be a, a really good thing for taxpayers. Yeah, so I, I agree. I think it's all about improving the transparency of our investigation, but improving the accountability of within our investigation. Both of those are good objectives. And I assume there'll be some communications about that next year when all that rolls out and, and improved experience for the complainants. We hope so. Absolutely. Karen, thank you so much for your time. It's been great chatting with you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tax Vibe. I've been chatting with Karen Payne, the Inspector General of Taxation and Taxation Ombudsman. To keep up to date with Tax Vibe, be sure to subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on socials. Not a member of the Tax Institute? Join a collective voice of 10,000 practitioners at the heart of the profession and find out what the best tax professionals have in common. Visit taxinstitute.com.au. We look forward to you joining us next time.